I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Troy McClure, and you might know me from other podcasts such as Go Bananas, The Story of Primate Evolution, and Fist First, A Deep Dive into Corruption in Boxing. Hey, hey, tall. Yeah, what's up? Wrong day. Wrong recording. Wrong, d- wrong d- oh. Is this not the, is this not the Simpsons overview that we had planned? Uh, this is, this is the Small's Favorites episode, actually, for small and tall now that seems kind of unlike me to forget that it was your favorite movie month seems a little self-entitled of me that i would rather do my bit during your favorite movie month that doesn't sound like me at all maybe you need to do some more self-reflection on that one nope i'm choosing not to anyway what movies are we watching (laughs) we're watching empire records almost famous practical magic and the Wizard of Oz. Now, three out of the four of these movies I've never seen before. And three out of the four of these movies I've been meaning to watch for like six years. Because I've known they are your favorite movies. And it's just like, it's one of those things where like, I, I think I was waiting for a good time to watch them. Or like a time where we could watch them together. And it just like, it never ended up like having like parallel things working out but now we have an excuse because content well craig welcome to small and tall where two best friends explore movies franchises and genres that wouldn't be covered on permanent good let's get into it yeah i forgot that you hadn't said that yet i feel like that slid in perfect there (laughs) um yeah so Obviously, since these are since these are your favorite movies, I I really want you to take the lead on these, oh. and and I'll I'll do my I'll do my interjections where where appropriate. I always like hearing your thoughts about my favorite things, though. Okay, um, I'll give kind of like, so I'll start with like kind of like a plot breakdown of these things. All right. Yes, you're so, better at that than I am. <laughs> so Empire Records, 1995, has like kind of a banging cast. Right? Like, like Liv Tyler is in this. Renee Zellweger. Yeah, like those are the two big names that like stuck out. Like both Liv Tyler and Renee Zellweger are in this. Uh, Robin Tunney is in this movie who like I didn't know by name, but she was in like the whole first season of Prison Break and I love Prison Break. So that's where I recognize her from. Um, the The premise of this movie is very, very simple. It's also like, the most 90s movie that, like, one could possibly pick. And that's why I love it. <laughs> and so it takes place over the course of... It's one day in the lives of these, like... I don't know. I would say, like, eight people that work at this record store called Empire Records. And the movie starts, and this kid named Lucas is closing by himself for the first time. And he finds in his boss's drawer that... Uh, a big chain store called Music Town is wanting to buy this store. And he's like, no way, not going to let that happen. He takes the money, rides his motorcycle. He takes the money from the store that night, takes his motorcycle, rides to Atlantic City, loses it all in like two rolls of craps. And here we are thinking, this is kind of the crux of the movie. It's kind of a B plot. It's kind of the B plot of the movie. Um, the because the whole movie is like, 
the synergy between these employees, their boss, you know, uh, stress from upper management. They're having a celebrity musician come in and do autographs that day and how that kind of messes with the flow of what everyone's expecting. It's a very like it is such a slice of life movie, but done in like a very Ferris Bueller style. Yes, that's the, that's the perfect way to put it, honestly, is that it's very like 90s music store Ferris Bueller. Yeah, it, it's like the breakfast club if they weren't in detention right if they were if they had free reign if they were actively working in a store like it's the same kind of vibe you get these characters from different walks of life that share a similar interest that you know they spend all day together they don't necessarily love each other but they put up with each other and you see it, it's just watching characters bounce off each other and seeing how different dynamics work with each other definitely and the (laughs) the celebrity guest is maxwell caulfield's character who maxwell caulfield was infamously in greece too which has a special (laughs) place in my heart regardless of what people say about it but he's from Greece too, and his character's name is Rex Manning, and our leading lady is absolutely, which is Liv Tyler's character, is absolutely obsessed with Rex Manning and wants to give up her virginity to this man. Yeah, it was it was a real wild kind of uh, sequence. So, because there's this dynamic that they're playing with throughout the entire movie, where like. Renee Zellweger is, uh, she's teased by the other employees that she's, you know, the most promiscuous of the bunch. And Liv Tyler is kind of like the the smarty, study, going to Harvard one. And so when Rex Manning shows up, Liv Tyler's like, I want in on this. I want to kind of like break the seal. And she, you know. Oh, I don't decide- like that you po- broke the seal. Mm. <laughs> I mean, listen. It's all stream of consciousness, baby. Um, <laughs> uh, Yikes! No, she wanted she wanted to lose her virginity to Rex Manning, and she makes a move on him. He's like down to clown, and then at the last minute, Liv Tyler was like, "Actually, you know what? This is wrong. This I don't like. This. Never mind. I changed my mind." And Renee Zellweger, almost out of spite goes to sleep with Rex Manning, you know, and does it in an instant, doesn't even think twice about it. Um, and, and, you know, this takes place over the course of the entire movie. It, it's That was one of the arcs where I'm just like, mm, you guys are just kind of being mean to each other. Like, there are some things where it's like, there's like playful banter, there's some ribbing, but like at the end of the day, you know, these people do care enough about each other to like look after their well-being, but that was the one arc where I'm like, hey, Renee, that was a bit deep. Yeah, you like, <laughs> this movie really plays into, the. these are all teenagers still working in this record store, and there's going to be drama even though they care about each other. Yeah, and... Everybody takes everything super personally. Everybody is super defensive about everything. And that's kind of the territory that you expect when you watch a movie about teenagers. I will say there is one character that I... Like, listen, 
Very rarely am I going to say that a single character can ruin an entire movie. Oh, then However, you missed the point of the character. Okay. Shh. Shh. That's an awful defense. That's an awful defense. This kid, Warren. I hate this kid so much. <laughs> and I don't think I hate the character. I think his actor was just not good. The actor, like, overacted every morsel of this character. And it got to the point where everyone else was, like, I believable. And this kid was just a cartoon. And his laugh was super obnoxious. He gestured with his entire arm. Like, he was flailing like Kermit at certain points. And I'm just like, can, and so when he, like, finally got arrested and was taken out of the movie for a little bit, I'm like, ah, finally a breath. Woo! Well, he was this little teenager trying to shoplift from the store who was pretending to be something and someone that he wasn't, hence the reason that he had the pop CD but was like, oh, it's for my girlfriend, but really it was for him. Yes, this kid definitely had, like, major identity crisis issues that come to a head at the in at the end of the movie. Uh and, and yeah, so there's that scene where Lucas is like taking through the stuff that he shoplifted and he's like rap, metal, rap, metal. You need to find something like like these are all this is all bad music. You need to find something better for your brain. And yeah, this kid is uh, he's also just mean. Like he uh Jane is uh Rex Manning's assistant. And she's just kind of there to hang out and make sure nothing goes wrong. And Warren is just so mean to her. And (laughs) Jane is very bad at her job because Rex Manning ends up getting decked because he was a dick to Corey and then went and slept with Renee Zellweger's character, Gina. Yeah. So not to say all of these characters have their fault, their faults. Um, but, but Warren was the one that I think was the most difficult to put up with. I did really like the dynamic between, uh, Corey and AJ. I, I really liked those two. Yes, that, I loved them. And then I really also liked Burko, even though he was in the movie for the least amount of time. Yeah, he, he's in it for such little time that like, if you don't read the subtitles, you won't catch his name. And um, Deborah comes back to work after being gone after a uh, unalive attempt. And instead of, you know, acting all weird about it, they uh, have a funeral for her <laughs> and make jokes about I it. I would argue that's acting a little weird about I it. I don't think so. But- <laughs> because acting weird about it is being like, oh, are you okay? Or, oh, don't leave her alone. But they were like, you know what? This is what we're going to do for you. And then you can start fresh. Uh, This movie, I think this movie uh, discloses to us what Deborah tried to do with probably the greatest line on the planet where she says, I went to rock and roll heaven and I wasn't on the guest list. One of my favorite lines. Such an iconic line. so good there were and like and like i think you get smarter the shorter your skirt gets Mm, that's another good one there's so many good lines from this movie yeah i i i I snapchatted you while i was watching this movie and i'm like if i watched this movie as a kid deborah would have had a significant impact on who i was as a person as a child as a human because 10 10 out of 10 deborah you're doing great 
Craig, you know that this movie is my all-time favorite movie out of this list, so I hope you know why I am the way I am now. Oh, between with this and Almost Famous specifically, I'm <laughs> watching both of these movies, and I'm like, yep, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense, that tracks. Oh, that's where that came from. All right, awesome. Like, it almost, like if I had a chart of your personality traits, <laughs> like... It would almost be a crossword puzzle. Like this line defines Bug's personality. This line define or this person defined their sexuality. I'm like, all right, here and here. Like, come on, child's <laughs> game. We'd put it in a Chili's kids menu. So, what did you overall think of this movie? I, all of everybody listening knows that I'm obsessed with it, so I can't really give a biased opinion. But what did you think overall? This movie succeeds for a lot of reasons. First of all being, it's just funny, you know? <laughs> it doesn't, it tackles some heavier themes, but does it in a lighthearted manner. This movie is, this movie I would say is like a mix between Ferris Bueller and uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. Like they have very similar energies. Uh, so this movie is funny, it's lighthearted, it's short. It's only 90 minutes, and I was looking through the trivia for this movie, and apparently they cut, like, 40 minutes from this movie. There was supposed to be, like, eight more characters, and it was supposed to have a second day of action. And I'm like, thank God none of that happened. It was perfect the way it is. This movie is so succinct, and, like, it's just so good. And I think uh, one of my favorite parts about this movie is, so, Lucas steals the money from the manager his name is joe and loses it and you would and like any normal person would be like you're fired like i may not call the cops but at the very least you're fired and meanwhile joe is kind of like keeping him around like you're like why are you stringing him along like this like you need to figure something out to do with him and you know the end of the movie lucas has this like little monologue where he's like yeah joe like took me in from like foster families and he's kind of my only father figure. And so that was a very nice character moment for this character that I was pretty neutral towards the entire movie because homeboy messed up. It was his fault. And he's kind of acting like it isn't. And then here at the end of the movie, it's like, all right, I, I see where you're coming from a little bit more now, you know, high risk, high reward kind of guy. And I love their solution to saving the record store as well. Yeah. I thought that was so clever and so fun. And also the moment where they like, before they decide on the big party, there's that moment where uh, Deborah sold her Vespa and everyone's just kind of pitching in 20, 30, 40 bucks. And that whole sequence was, it was very heartwarming. Because like I said, these characters don't have like, immense love for each other they're not taking bullets for each other like not or at least not from the dynamic that we see up until this point so to see everyone kind of band together you know for deborah's funeral scene and also for this it's like this is the dynamic that you want from your characters right yeah you want a band of misfits that butt heads frequently but at the end of the day they're there for each other and that's the exact sentiment you got from this the entire time absolutely so what is your rating of this i'd give this like a seven and a half okay i i can respect that um i got this movie on dvd 
for <laughs> Christmas. Oh, back in the ancient times of yeah. DVD. Ooh, Nothing even so plays DVDs ago. anymore. Anyway, I got this movie for Christmas from my aunt one year, and it absolutely changed my life. And with the DVD, it will like stay on the loading menu for like five minutes and then it just like starts replaying the dvd and there was at least a couple months probably where this movie was just on in my room at all times just playing over and over and over again i fell asleep to it every night so this is a movie that i can like practically quote from beginning to end and I love it with all of my heart so this one is definitely a 10 for me just because yeah for sure definitely it's my favorite yeah everybody yeah if so that means everybody on the podcast is officially given a 10 out of 10 rating <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> uh Alex's is a little bit different I think I think his only 10 out of 10 was Tenet that's and a that's I, a good I, one to give a ten out of ten to, but yeah, I, yeah, it's pretty a ten close. Out of, a ten out of ten net. <laughs> um, I I I want to say a few more things about it. Um, Rex, I want to talk about Rex Manning for a little bit. Yeah, because I know he gives off like that perfect machizo sleazeball energy. Mm-hmm. Where he's got like the like the silk shirt, the the slicked back hair. Also, oh, there was Rexy, nothing. You're so sexy. I didn't think there was anything wrong with his hair. He was complaining about it being too short. It looked fine. <laughs> he was just being a diva. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and like, there's lots of little moments from this movie that I think are worth mentioning, like how every how um. The staff has the veto system when people are playing music. I yes. like and AJ is gluing quarters to the floor for no reason. <laughs> it's art. I I think even AJ, if pressed up against that, would have difficulty being like, I did that for art. It seemed like a prank. No, um it was just art and he was bored. Yeah, but it's it's good. And the moment uh, where AJ and lived Corey yep. um, have like their their the moments they share on the rooftops are just ten out of ten. Like those are the those are the hopeless romantic movies moments that you kind of draw to, where it's like everything else has kind of been a mess up until this point. But now we kind of have these like ninety seconds where we can just watch these two characters appreciate each other admit that they're in love with each other and kind of like figure it out yeah i think one of the underappreciated characters is definitely mark because he has some of some like very golden dialogue but it's one of he's one of those characters that he doesn't speak much but when he does it either makes you laugh or you're like hyped up because of him yeah and mark is like although mark is also the character that try to dissuade AJ from admitting his feelings to Corey where Mark is like, dude, she's going to school in Boston. That is, that's pretty much on another planet. Like just kind of give up. And AJ is like, okay, I will go to a school in Boston so I could be with her. <laughs> well, he made his decision then instead of being yeah. on the fence about it, somebody just yeah. had to tell him no. So he could be like, no, actually I want to do it. 
I relate to AJ so hard, though, because, like, when I was in high school, I felt the same way of, like, I have a crush on this person, and this is how I want to tell them, this is the manner I want to do it, and this is the, these are the exact words that I'm going to say, but then when the moment comes, you just kind of flub everything, and everything catches, nothing goes the way you want it to, everything just comes off the top of your head, you don't sound nearly as eloquent as you wanted to, and, like, you know, in, in his case, the first time he tried, like, she did not respond well to it at all. And I'm like, AJ, my, I get you, man. I feel you so hard. Yeah, he's definitely, definitely a pretty relatable character on that front. I think this is one of those movies where if you watch it in high school, you're gonna find yourself in one of these characters. Absolutely. It was... Brought to me at a very formative time, as well as our next movie. (laughs) Yes. Almost Famous, I would say, is the filmiest movie you've ever had me watch. Yes. It's one of the only film film movies that I enjoy watching. Yeah. So Almost Famous is, uh, according to what I've read, it's a a semi-autobiographical movie about the writer and the director of this movie Cameron Crowe Cameron Crowe who was like a young journalist for Rolling Stones and basically he got to go on tour with a band and this band it is a fictional band called Stillwater from Troy and, Michigan yes where they start out in Detroit and they kind of and they just travel the country touring and it's uh the main character's job whose name is William and he's basically writing a piece for the Rolling Stones, like anywhere between 3,000 and 4,000 words of just like an in-depth article about this up-and-coming band. So we kind of, it's almost, I would, I would, I would not argue if somebody called this like historical fiction of this, of someone just trying to write an in-depth piece of a band while they are on tour. So yeah. you see a lot of aspects of tour life. You see these band members and how they relate to each other, to the people they travel with, to the girls that they're into. And that's that's the main basic of this movie. Like the first 30 minutes of this movie is this kid, William, like starting out as a journalist and, you know, getting denied entrance to clubs and trying to find his footing as a music critic. And then basically this opportunity to write for Rolling Stones kind of lands in his lap and he takes it and the movie kind of goes forward from there. Yeah. And a major character that like plays a part in his want to, you know, go on tour and escape this town is his older sister who's like totally into rock and roll and goes against their mother who believes rock and roll is Satan music and so is meat and so is cheese and so are Hallmark holidays. You learn to not like the mom real fast in this movie because the movie starts out and there's this moment between her and like child William and they seem to have like a cute moment together where he's talking about like oh I really like Atticus Finch because he's honest and she's like heck yeah that's cool and then they turn the corner and his mom just turns into the most like strict overbearing helicopter type parent on the planet like she she gets mad at her daughter for having a 
Simon and Garfunkel records. Simon and Gar, I get them confused with uh, Mumford and Sons. Oh, Mumford and Sons. Any band that is something and something, I will (laughs) assume that you are Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) But anyway, she she gets she gets mad at her daughter for having a Simon and Garfunkel album. Uh, Also, the daughter is played by Zoe Deschanel, who Mm -hmm. I will say only gets better after this movie. Is the best way to put it. She <laughs> hasn't aged though. Movie. She hasn't. She hasn't. Aged, though. You tell you can tell it's Zoe Deschanel in an instant, and you're like, oh wow, your acting has gotten so much better in the last twenty years. Um, Frances McDormand plays the mother. She's also she's very Stellar. good in this movie. Hate her character. Good performance. Amazing yes. performance. Uh, Kate Hudson is in this movie who. Uh, on the main feed of Permanent Good does not have a great track record, but she she's very good in this movie. If what you else were to watch did you watch with Kate Hudson on Permanent Good? I can't remember. Bride Wars and 10 uh, Things I Hate About You. Yeah. No, the other one. No. How to Lose a Guy in Taze. How to yeah, Lose a Guy in Taze. Yeah, I was going to say, because we didn't watch we didn't. This is our first Kate Hudson movie that we've watched. So Yeah, so <laughs> neither Alex or I liked her in Bride Wars or How to Lose a Guy. But this one, she like if you're going to watch a Kate Hudson movie, watch this one. Yeah, this is this, is, this is the Kate Hudson movie. Um, Billy Crudup is also in this movie, who I know as Barry Allen's dad in the Zack Snyder Justice League movies. Uh, and then um, also you have Jason Lee, which is very funny that he's in this movie because Almost Famous begins with an Alvin and the Chipmunks song playing at the beginning of it. And Jason Lee went on to be in Alvin and the Chipmunks. Also, this movie is the movie that made me realize, like, for the last like six years, I've been like, where have I heard Ryan Reynolds's voice before? Like Ryan Reynolds's voice is so familiar, but I can't place it. This movie is what made me realize I think he's Jason Lee all the time. <laughs> he sound Jason Lee and Ryan Reynolds sound so similar. They have a very similar cadence in their voice yeah. and just like g- general placement. Where if you were to have me do like a blind test of like if they said the same dialogue i would not be able to tell who was who i hope you know that we're doing this now (laughs) oh okay yeah if if you put it together i i will do it um uh also jimmy fallon is in this movie it's a star-studded cast like especially with like the band aids which they're not groupies they're band aids they just inspire the music they don't sleep with the band yes they do but they don't call themselves groupies but for the purpose of this podcast we might a few times possibly uh philip seymour hoffman is also in this movie anna packen is in this movie like like star-studded Star-studded cast. Feruza Balk or however. I don't, I never, I always butcher her name, but she's in the craft. So if you like movie stars, this movie has a lot of them. Uh, So this movie did win a few awards. It was also nominated for a few as well. Uh, Best writing, screenplay, uh, best writing, screenplay written directly for the screen. It won that Oscar. It also won, Kate Hudson won best actress in a supporting role. And then... Uh, Frances McDormand was nominated, was also nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role, and then it also got nominated for Best Film Editing, which is one of those things where I don't know how movies get nominated for that. Um, it's like I, it's fine, I guess. Um, uh, Kate Hudson plays. Would you say that she plays a manic pixie dream girl? Absolutely. 
Yeah, very much like I'm mysterious and I'm going to show you affection, but then you're going to try to get close and I'm going to back away, but you're still going to have my affection. You're going to want my affection, but I'm not going to tell you my real name. I'm going to exist in the background of all of your memories. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, and what I think is another very interesting fact about this movie is that while all of this is going on, William, who is the music journalist that this movie is about, is only 15 years old. And Penny Lane, while she's gallivanting across the country with this band and sleeping with these not-teenage men, is only 16. Yeah, uh, this movie is kind of gross, Yeah, if, it you, definitely, if you think about it at all. It shines uh, a major light on the grooming and manipulation that these bands at this time would partake in with younger ladies or younger girls not even ladies not even women they're literally just girls yeah and this movie like you said this movie makes an active point to shine a light on it uh there is an argument to be made that it still kind of glamorizes it but it still points out the flaws as well because there's a scene where they're on their tour bus and they pass a group of girls that are like doing track practice for high school or whatever. And like one of the band members like tries to get them to stop the bus so he can hit on these high school girls. And they say that it's a 30 second sequence. They say the phrase high school girls like eight times. And I'm like, guys, guys, please, please rein it back a little bit. But I think the argument for it coming off kind of romanticized or glamorized is that this is from the perspective of 15-year-old Cameron Crowe. And any 15-year-old boy is going to be like, yeah, I was with the dudes and they were sleeping with girls and we were having a good time and I was in love with this girl and I wanted to sleep with her too and I wanted to sleep with all these girls too. So I feel like that's why I kind of give it a pass even though that subplot with it leaves me with the bad feeling every time I watch this movie. Yes. And, and I'm not trying and I'm not trying to demonize this movie for it. No, um, abs- I yeah. It deserves it. It's, it. It, it's it's something that is a major theme of this movie because even by the end of this movie, you would think kind of how the movie is set up. Uh so Kate Hudson is actively sleeping with Russell, the lead singer of the band, no, and also lead guitarist lead guitarist of the band right and uh flirting and you know kind of hanging around uh william Mm -hmm. and and so the way the movie sets it up is you're like oh at the end of the movie she's gonna choose one of them hopefully william uh but no she (laughs) she sends them into a room together so they can figure out their differences and she flies to morocco instead and that's what makes her a manic pixie dream girl. Yes. So it's like you would hope that there would be some sort of like, I mean, there is a little bit of condemnation because William writes a very in-depth article about what happens. And he talks about how the band is actively sleeping with anyone they can. So there's a scene, I think, where Jason Lee is even like, this article he wrote makes us look like dicks. And he's like, yeah, because you are a dick. You are a dick, yeah. So it's one of those movies where it's 
aware it, it's aware of the trashy environment that rock and roll culture in the 70s cultivated and that's why they call William the enemy because he has the ability to show people how it really is not how they want them to know yeah and so this movie might seem like it's playing on all of the rock and roll stereotypes but that's because this movie is about the formation of those stereotypes exactly so what do you think is one of my favorite lines from this movie um is it the oh is <laughs> i can tell you my favorite line definitely it's the um it's when russell is on the roof screaming about how he's a golden god uh that's, <laughs> that's, that's iconic iconic in terms of like just like genuine like heartfelt ones um i don't know what what is it <clears throat> it is i always tell the girls never take it seriously if you never take it seriously you never get hurt you never get hurt you always have fun and if you ever get lonely just go to the record store and visit your friends and when taken out of context i think that line is very cool yes i think in context it's a little bit more um worrisome but yeah it's it's a good one i also i do want to say though I thought this movie was very long, and uh, as someone who generally does not like the biopic genre, uh, this movie p- kind of played those numbers a little bit. Um, I was ready for this movie to end like 20 minutes before it did. No, oh, yeah, they uh, definitely drag out the ending of this way longer than they needed to, and that's why it's very filmy. I also think this movie just like has just enough unlikable characters to make it difficult to get through this movie like every time he calls his mom or his mom calls him it's just like it it, all we're doing is adding more disappointment to the tally marks of his mom is already disappointed in him so that was that was that kind of felt like beating a dead horse um and there was a little bit of a payoff for it because uh, the the way Russell and William get in the same room together to figure out their differences is Russell calls Penny and Penny's like, all right, meet me at this address. And she sends him to William's house. Yeah. And William's mom is the one that opens the door. And there's this moment where she's like, oh, so you're the famous Russell. And I'm like, all right, this payoff almost made it worth it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, one of my... I do want to say one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when it's Russell and William and the band is like, quote unquote, breaking up. And Russell's like, we got to find some real people. And then these teenagers pull up in this car and they're like, we're real Topeka people trying to have a (laughs) party. And you have Russell who's like nodding his head like, yes, we'll come to your party. And William's just shaking his head no. And I feel like that's you and me at all times, especially in high school. (laughs) Yes. That party looked so lame, though. Like, obviously, they kind of got it going. But like with a house party like that, like there's nothing. Maybe this is just because I didn't grow up in a high school party scene where like nothing's happening. People are just 
in a house drinking and it's not until somebody gets 11 out of 10 messed up like Russell did when people start climbing on roofs and jumping into pools. And then when we get to that point, it's like, all right, this feels a little not safe. I think I should go home. So I don't think I would ever have fun at a party like that because it's either zero or 11. But that's like, honestly, of the few house parties I've been to, not in high school because I was too lame to go to parties in high school, but (laughs) in my college years, the three house parties I've been to have kind of been like that where it's like really chill and then somebody gets too messed up and then everybody ends up trying to match their behavior while i'm like okay guys can we just tone it down a little bit we gotta be safe we gotta be yeah, safe does, does anyone have twister we could play twister I'm somebody play get twister this person right some water they need some water they're gonna throw up i brought mario kart are we cool with mario kart <laughs> yeah and that's like in comparison to like the friend gatherings I have now compared to those parties that I've been to, my hangouts probably seem very lame to those people who enjoy going to those wild parties. Yeah, <laughs> well, because now we are in our mellow 20s where we're not trying to impress anybody. So we're okay with just hanging out. And if substances are involved, then so be it. But it's not like the main reason to be with each other because that's what because you go to a house party like the one in almost famous and you look at like the 50 people that are there and first thing you think of is that's a covid nightmare and the (laughs) second thing you think of is none of these people are here because they want to hang out with other people they're there to get messed up on the alcohol that is being provided for them yeah and i will say that i don't even think that it's because we're in our quote-unquote mellow 20s because we are still hardly in our 20s and i feel like it's just not our it's not our scene it's not our vibe yeah and so uh, so there's a lot of this movie that i think because of that i just don't relate to super much uh there's a lot of aesthetic in this movie right Whereas Empire Records nailed, like, the 90s aesthetic, because it it was filmed in the 90s, Craig. Uh, (laughs) This one is very much, like... 70s aesthetic. Yeah, it's, like, 40% style, 60% substance, but that 40% style, like, nails that 70s aesthetic that they're going for. Yeah. So, which aspects of my personality do you think I get from this one? Honestly, just like you look at the poster for this movie and it's Kate Hudson and like the blue aviators. And I'm like, it's that. It's that. <laughs> it's it's the vibe of Penny Lane. Yeah. Because like, I don't imagine you. Div- hey, to the best of my knowledge, you don't have much of a groupie personality. Um, not I not know, particularly. Are, are you not particularly? Are you trying to like <laughs> fix damaged men to hide your own problems? At one point in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I just think, I think this movie carries a lot more of, like, the aesthetic, right? And and there's that line at the end where William is interviewing Russell for the last time, where he's like, all right, let's try this again. What do you love about music? And and Russell takes the chair, turns it around like a cool teacher, leans (laughs) into the microphone and says, well, to start with, everything. Everything. And I feel like that also is kind of a good summation of it all. Yes. And I, this is like, 
I can't remember if this movie was also given to me at the same time as I got Empire Records or if it was just like within the same year or so. But it This was... movie's a bit harder to have on in the background 24-7. I still <laughs> did it. Okay, this was another one where I rotated between Empire Records, Almost Famous, and Heathers for like a six-month period in high school, like our junior year end of our sophomore year yeah personally this one this one was a little long for me uh this one sits at like six and a quarter yeah this one this one's really good to me but it's still probably only like a seven and a half for me but what's cool about it being so long and me not having that great of an attention span but still loving this movie is that every time i watch it i find something new yeah this movie does a very good job at like it feels like such a labor of love and i would be a fool to dismiss that like you watch this like you walk away from this movie and you're just like i feel like i genuinely watched six people live their lives yes almost in their entirety and that's that's part of it that i really really enjoy i think is because you feel like you were literally like right next to them while all of this was going on. All right, so let's move on to Practical Magic, the movie that I think I knew the least about going into it. This one is, this is where you get your witchy side, obviously. (laughs) So we got sense of humor, we got aesthetic, now we've got like, I don't know how, I don't know how you would place this one, but like, this is the this is a piece of the pie chart, you know. It is the fact that every movie so far has had like an equal twenty five percent. I understand where this comes from. Like, I don't think that between between the three of our months, that's like these are our favorite movies. Yours are definitely the most like. Yep, I understand where this fits into you personality wise. Yeah, like why I like these movies so much. Yeah, Practical Magic is a late 90s romance? No. It's a... I describe it as kind of like a Halloween-y family... You said weenie. (laughs) A Halloween-ish, Halloween-centered type of family bonding movie. Yeah, this movie is... If I were to describe this movie in a word, it, it, the theme would be sisterhood, right? It's yes. It's one of those hashtag sisterhood movies. So it's Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are daughters. They are sisters, and they are daughters in a very witch family. You know, they descended from the witches of Salem. And there's this curse on their family where whenever they fall in love, sooner rather than later the man that they are in love with will eventually die Mm -hmm. and so their father dies and then their mother dies shortly after that and so they are living with their aunts and this story takes place you know in their mid to late 20s i would say maybe even early 30s Mm -hmm. where um i don't even know how to describe the plot of this movie um because it's Basically, they kill a guy, they bring him back to life, they kill him again, and they kind of have to deal with those consequences, both practical and magical. Yes, because, okay, so 
Nicole Kidman's character, Jilly. She is in a relationship with this dude who's like totally abusive, totally an awful human being, but you, you just know, bad. Yeah, he's bad and she, of course, is charmed by him in the beginning because she's one of those people who's always looking for a new adventure and likes bad boys. And she, he ends up hitting her one day, so she calls her sister and is like, hey, I need you to come pick me up. And then Sandra Bullock flies to her. They are trying to get her out of there. She's like, no, I need my necklace. And then she goes to get her necklace. Turns out, there he is, the dude who just hit her, and now he's kidnapping her and her sister, making them drive. And so they're like, you know what? We're going to put some belladonna in your alcohol to get you to pass out so we don't have to deal with you. But Sandra Bill puts too much in there and kills him. I do want to say real quick. So he kidnaps the sisters by hiding in the back of his car, which I think is a bold kidnapping plan. Because... <laughs> They almost didn't go in the car. That yeah. was a that I don't want to say it was high risk because it would have gotten him caught. It was a high risk in terms of a waste of time. So just so when that happened, you know, uh, Nicole Kidman goes in his car and the dude is his name's Jimmy. He's in the back seat and you know I don't know holds a knife up to her throat or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. My first thought was, why was he in the back of his own car? Like that, he is putting a lot of eggs into this one basket. If this one didn't work out, she would have gotten away. Yeah, and then they realize that they messed up because they killed him, and so they're like, you know what? We're heckin' magic, so we're just gonna bring him back, and then we don't have to deal with any of the consequences. And so they do a little spelly spell, which involves putting needles in his eyelids, all that fun stuff, and putting whipped cream in a pentacle on his chest. Fun stuff. But But, then when they bring him back... Real quick. You said the word pentacle? Yeah. Is there a difference between that and a pentagram? Yes. Explain. Uh, Let me look up the actual... How do you not know... Uh, in my experience what do you mean how do i not know what (laughs) you've been my friend for this long and you don't know these things in my in my experience pentagram has been interchangeable for any demon-like thing that has a star in it no no wrong incorrect (laughs) a pentagram is actually a symbol of spiritual shielding and then the upside down pentagram is exclusively satanic, but a pentacle is so like the pe- okay. So I guess they did do a pentagram, not a pentacle. I mix that up because the pentagram is just the star, and then the pentacle has the circle around it. Okay, see, in my head, it would have been the other way around. Yeah, that's what, I always I, mix them up, but that's because that's I'm pretty difference. sure in like supernatural, they always refer to it as a pentagram and they always have the circle and i watched 12 seasons of that nonsense so no it's 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 different they have different meanings they carry different weights to them yeah sure uh and so they bring jimmy back to life and up to this point in the movie we're like 45 minutes into the movie at this point and and we've been told on several occasions we could technically like bringing people back from the dead works in theory 
but the person that is brought back is not the person that died. So do it with extreme caution or don't do it at all. Like the person who is brought back is going to be very evil 99.99999% of the time. And so when these two sisters bring someone back from the dead, essentially to avoid dealing with consequences, you can imagine how that goes. Not well, because he turns out to be even more aggressive than he was. And so they're like, oh, snap. And they kill him again and bury him out in the garden. Yeah, so this guy was reanimated for 45 seconds before Sandra Bullock kills him again. And now he is a vengeful spirit. And the rest of this movie is them kind of like... trying to ward off this vengeful spirit while this detective is also trying to like i don't know solve a murder not even he's trying to get jimmy for another crime and wants to know where he is and then he's like oh wait y'all killed him didn't you and they're like not in not not us not not i don't know what you're talking about here in our home no no he's not here so there's a lot of flavor that we're kind of brushing over real quick that I want to du- that I kind of want to double back into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, the sisters lived with their aunts. Um, Jillian, uh, Nicole Kidman, she moved away almost as soon as she could, and Sandra Bullock stays around in the town that they grew up in. And the entire it's I don't know exactly where it is, but it's like a it, it kind of gives like East Coast small town Maine kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the entire town knows that they're witches, right? And they don't take it very well. They're not, like, ostracized, but they're definitely not favored upon. No. And so there's some scenes, there's some sequences. We definitely get the atmosphere and the dynamic. How many more buzzwords can I throw into this sentence? <laughs> of Sandra Bullock trying to be a normal person and a normal mom trying to raise normal children when everybody in the town already kind of looks down on her for having magic. And Sandra Bullock... let me... The reason that she doesn't want to partake in magic is because her aunts used magic to kind of give a little push towards the relationship between her and her now deceased husband. And so after that, she was like, no, screw magic. You guys ruined my life and my kids won't know anything about magic. I won't do any magic. We're done. Yeah. So there's also that, you know, family tension of they want her to do magic because she's really good at it and they feel like she's ignoring part of the family heritage. And she's like, no, this family heritage got my husband killed. Exactly. Like, I'm not messing with that crap. And there's uh, there's like a particular sequence of Sandra Bullock kind of coming back into the world of magic where like she slowly starts to accept it piece by piece over the course of the movie. And you see that she is using magic for her own petty reasons. Like she's really invested in this community phone tree where, you know, this is 1998. So we weren't getting text messages or anything about snow days. So the concept was whoever was at the top of the phone tree would be notified. Hey, it's a snow day. And it's up to them to notify the rest of the community about the snow day. And Sandra Bullock 
really wants to be at the top of this phone tree. So she uses a little a little bit of magic to uh to make that go her way. And I'm like, really? That this? was that this? was her sister. No. Yes. Nicole, no. Yes. No. Yes. No, yes. No. Yes. That's the whole reason she goes to the meeting. But Nicole doesn't know. I thought the exchange was Nicole Kidman was like, no, because Nicole Kidman did magic for something else earlier in that scene. And then when the the administrator flips the page book to find whoever is at the top of the phone tree, there's nothing there. And so she's like, oh, it's Sally Owens. And then Sandra Bullock kind of like brushes her hair back and she's like, now that was me. Do we have to look this up? It's Sally Owens. No, it's Nicole Kidman who says, no, that was me. Ha ha ha! Okay, so maybe I wasn't super paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, it's one of my favorite movies. I know what happens in it. Don't make me second guess myself. It's my job to make you second guess yourself. This is my, one of my, I've seen it so many times. Okay, well, uh, we need to just blow past. I was, okay, fine, I was wrong. All right, let's move past it. We don't need to worry about it anymore, okay? So basically what I was saying, the whole point of my sentiment, the entire reason I brought up the scene is now moot. My entire credibility as a film critic has now been thrown out the window. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, end my recording, mute myself on Discord, and you can just finish this episode all on yourself. I assume that she does use a little bit of magic, at least some of her knowledge with all of the products that she sells at her store. Oh, yes, yeah, because she sells this very, like, you know, it very new age type aromas and, you know, bathware and stuff like that. So it, it's kind of like the front end of a salon, but, like, just that part. Well, it's just, like, lotions and it's like a lush but all natural small town. Yeah, I couldn't think of any beauty brands, so thank you. I got you. Um, I think this movie takes a little while to get going it spends like the first 30 minutes of this movie is a lot of like weird establishing stuff because they do like the intro narration sequence for like seven or eight minutes where sandra bullock is talking about like the family's history with magic how she fell in love this you know how the beetle cries when her husband's about to die and how she's choosing to raise her kids differently. And then, like, the movie goes on for, like, another 15 minutes after that before, like, adult Jillian comes back into the scene. And we're reestablished with their dynamic. And then Jillian goes to be with Jimmy. And so there's some dead air that, like, I don't know what to do with, especially in the beginning. But then once we kind of get over that hurdle, if you can make it through the first 30 minutes of this movie... Then, like, the rest of it is way more charming. Like, they, like, backload this movie pretty intensely. And um, I feel like, though, this is kind of skipping forward a little bit. So we'll, we'll round, we'll come back. We'll take a lap. But there's one part where I feel like the movie kind of goes from, like, zero to 100. Because the detective still doesn't necessarily know exactly what's going on. And then all of a sudden, he's seeing everything for what it actually is and like seeing what's actually going on and i'm like okay they just kind of threw him right into the deep end with that one 
Yeah, because this character has, like, a weird relationship with this family where he goes up to them and he's immediately suspicious of them. But instead of, like, there, there, he has this, like, he's on the fence between giving them the benefit of the doubt and wanting to full-on investigate them. Because there's a moment where he realizes, like, oh, these two definitely killed this guy. And he's like, you guys better get a good lawyer. And he says it very sternly. And then him and Sandra end up kissing. And then he's like, teehee, you guys better get a good lawyer. I'm like, you, you don't, I don't think you know what you want. But it's right after that that he, like, gets to see the demon apparition of Jimmy possessing Nicole Kidman, and it's like, okay, way to just, like, throw him right into the deep end of the supernatural there. Dude takes it pretty well, all things considered. Honestly, yes, he takes it much better than I would have. And Ghost Jimmy, he's, he's, he's kind of creepy. He's so like, creepy. So this movie is rated PG-13, and it definitely shows that because, you know, Nicole Kidman at the beginning of this movie makes some questionable choices and uh, there's a scene where they get completely drunk and Sandra Bullock is like there's you know there's never been a crime about being a slut in this family and oh my god that's my favorite the midnight margaritas favorite scene in the entire movie it's a very good scene so this movie like is very much a PG-13 movie but it has like it, it handles real life witchcraft quote-unquote in kind of the same way that a pg or like a disney channel movie might and Mm -hmm. so to see like like disney channel magic mixed with like romance storylines and romance like themes it it doesn't always mix perfectly but like there are still definitely a lot of charming moments along with it yeah it's uh so it definitely proves itself to be a PG-13 movie, like you said, because, you know, there's some, there's a couple of steamy scenes with Nicole Kidman and Jimmy in the beginning there, but then, like, I think the other reasons is because there's alcohol and, like, mild cussing and talks about death, but other than that, it removed those little things, and it'd still be just as good and a PG movie. <laughs> yeah, like, all, yeah, pretty much. But fun fact about that midnight margarita scene, they were all actually drunk. I think about that a lot. Like, what act, like, what scenes warrant (laughs) actors getting really genuinely drunk? Yeah. Um, I also think of that Rick and Morty scene where I I think it's like a season three episode where just, there's a very funny behind the scene clips of it where Justin Roiland is just absolutely hammered (laughs) and the director is just or i don't know if she was the director or she was just like you know coordinating the vo session that day or whatever Mm -hmm. but she's just she's in the she's on the other side of the booth and there's just multiple takes of her just being like good job justin can we maybe stay on script this time (laughs) like okay justin can we tone it down a little bit you'd be like hey bug can we like stick to the script and i'd be like i am sticking to the script gregory (laughs) just not the one in front of me and the one in my head yeah i I think about that a lot and there are some scenes where it's warranted i think i think 
that scene is definitely better because of it. Yes. And, okay, we haven't talked about the other reasons that this specific detective's special investigator, like, why he's so special, I guess, and what's so special about him. So, as he's investigating, Sandra Bullock's like, you can ask us any questions you need. And he's like, okay, so I'll come over tomorrow at 10 a.m. And she's like, cool, great. And so then Nicole Kidman's like, okay, I'm going to make this spell in this syrup with your kids to try and banish this man. And then Sandra Bullock's daughters, which is Evan Rachel Wood, gorgeous, one of her first roles, and Alexandra Arttrip, I believe, and... They Less beautiful, out. sucky rolls. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I just love Evan Rachel Wood, okay? Shut up. Um, <laughs> but they find this old journal that their mom used to write in when she was little. And she's like creating this perfect man because, you know, he'll never exist. So she can never actually fall in love with this man. And he has one blue eye and one green. He can ride a horse backwards and he knows how to flip pancakes like a boss. And this special investigator has all of those things. Yeah. That, I think maybe I was a little tuned out during that breakfast. Cause, cause that breakfast scene is like, it's very the holiday, right? When, that breakfast scene is so important to the plot, though, Gregory. So when, who who was it? Was it Kate Blanchett in The Holiday? Uh, Whoever Kate Winslet. Went, Kate Winslet, right. When she goes to Hugh Grant's house and, like, they did, he did, like, Mr. Napkinhead and all that. Like That was Cameron very, Diaz. And that it was, was Cameron Diaz? <laughs> yes, and that's Jude Law. I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i'll be taking over for the rest of this episode and so gregory is wrong you know it wasn't very the holiday because that scene moves the plot forward and it moves that little love interest plot part plot b plot c forward and it shows you why she can't lie to him why he's so obsessed with her and why they're kissing even though he's supposed to be investigating her for murder i don't think Prax is coming back but um i'd appreciate it if he did we just need to not talk about it again <laughs> it's okay i finished it up i said that you were wrong i I'm deleting this episode. You're see here the episode that's being released is not the episode that's being recorded right now. I'm actually just gonna make this a solo episode. I'm gonna talk to myself for an hour. I'm gonna talk about your Screw favorite you. movies all by myself. So that way I can't be wrong. But you can't talk about my favorite movies when you get them all wrong. I have clearly clearly I have nothing left to say about this movie. Okay. Um but there's like so that's that's one of my favorite parts is that like there's she kind of manifested this man thinking that he would never exist and then he's like I was wishing for you too and then they get there happily ever after they call on all of the people in the town admit that they're witches get them all over to banish the demon out of because he possesses Jimmy possesses Jilly and then so they have to call on all the women as their coven in the town to banish him out of her. And then it's all happy and merry after that. Yeah, I also don't know why 
this investigator is allowed to live? What do you mean? Aren't all loves supposed to die? They break the curse after they banish Jimmy. Because so it, this, they so this prove, curse Because so they th- prove like genuine true love between the sisters and the family and the coven. And so it banish it breaks the curse. Maybe I just didn't get this movie. <laughs> I'm making you watch <laughs> this again some other time. Um, but this movie is charming, it's funny, there are cool moments in it. Um, I think I give this like a six and a quarter. This is this is a solid seven for me, and there's a lot of like cute little quotes in it, and like there's one that like everybody has like a tattoo of, which is one of Sandra Bullock's like last lines about always throwing salt over your shoulder, planting lavender for good luck, all that stuff. Yeah, oh, this movie is very quotable, for sure, definitely. If you pay enough attention to remember the quotes. Uh, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. Um, this so... was my, this, The Wizard of Oz was my first ever favorite movie and will forever be one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, this movie rules. Um, I remember watching this movie in either, like, elementary school or middle school or something like that and kind of bouncing off of it, you know, not really caring much about it. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, I was in like a U.S. I think it was my U.S. history class in high school. Um, we were learning about allegories, and so we watched The Wizard of Oz. I think as a World War II allegory, um, or maybe you know a World War One allegory, um, which I think in general is kind of a stretch. Yeah, Mister Church, want to run <laughs> that one it- again? I can't, I always forget that's who you had for U.S. history. <laughs> um. So, but uh, for what it's worth, rewatching that movie, you know, in that class, like it was good. I liked it. I remember being like fourteen or fifteen. I'm like, all right, maybe this movie's better than I give it credit for. So um, I used to watch this all the time on like TV when I was like really little. But then like when I was three or four, I want to say I was at my great grandma's house and she let my brother and I both like like she picked a movie from her VHS collection to give us and she gave my brother E.T. and she gave me my VHS copy of The Wizard of Oz and I was Dorothy for Halloween one year but of course me being me I wore the costume for weeks after Halloween. That tracks. I even had I even had, like so much so that the following birthday which is five months later um i had a wizard of oz birthday and wore my costume at my birthday because i was a little dorothy with my braids and my ruby red slippers and now i have a tattoo on the back of my heels related to the wizard of oz so hey heidi if you're listening to this and if you have any photos from these Wizard of Oz birthday parties and Halloweens. Oh, there's pictures. Please send them my way. I I will graciously accept them. I need to, I need to see these photos. Thank you very much. I'll have her send some. There's plenty. Okay, perfect. Um so this movie is cool. I I think that's the best way for me to approach this movie. I think there's a lot of really cool things about this movie. Um there's a lot of things about this movie that like haven't aged super well and some things that I just like have personal subjective disagreements with, but all things considered, like you walk away from this movie and it is a good experience the entire time. Yeah. This, uh, it, some parts of it, I think 
get funnier as you age and other parts you're like uh that's kind of extremely offensive but okay moving on yeah and listen yeah definitely um i think the biggest thing that i walk that i walk away from is i think the jitterbug scene should have been left in the movie um you know it's kind of the best part of wizard of oz and i wish the final cut what had had the jitterbug scene the jitterbug are you familiar with the jitterbug scene let me see yeah so um there's a scene where one oh of the yes, pl- yes 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 yeah yes, so yes, yes, if yes, you are yes. not familiar with the jitterbug scene it's in the stage versions of wizard of oz which is so it's like you know kind of it's a little mainstream where one of the wicked witches plans to stop Dorothy from reaching I think it was from reaching Oz in the first place mm-hmm. was she sent a a bug that caused them to dance nonstop and so there's this cute like 3 3 and a half minute number where the where the main group just can't stop dancing and I think it's very charming and cute and the music is very good and I'm just like in a movie where like Three of the seven songs all have the same melody. Having the jitterbug with a completely different tempo and uh, like aesthetic to it would have added something. Would have added a like that little extra oomph. It would have been it's cheesy as heck, right? So if mm-hmm. you don't like cheesy, then like maybe you're happy it's not in it. But as someone who will takes that in stride, like it would have definitely like given that part of the movie a little bit more liveliness. Definitely. This movie does, and it's iconic for this, and it does one of my favorite things that movies can do, but only if they do it right and they time it out correctly, and that is transitioning from black and white into full color. Yeah, and it's done so well. Like it's like like you said, it's iconic because of it. I'm pretty sure it was the first movie to do it, yes. or at least the first one to do it at this large of a scale. And it does it well, you know, so beautifully. When you are given an opportunity like this, it's very easy for someone to be like, "Let's just do it. It doesn't matter if we do it well because we do it first. And this movie doesn't do that. There's a lot of really cool, engaging shots. You know, mm-hmm. like the shot from black and white to color. And there are some scenes involving like the the orb, the scene crystal that mm-hmm. I think are just done really well. So, yeah, this movie does. Uh, there's lots of cool things about it. And, you know, again, there are some effects that haven't aged well. Like, you know, Glinda turning into the bubble is like, <laughs> oh, my God, yikes. Um, I, I did write a note that my favorite effect from this movie is... The Wicked Witch. The smoke. Ascent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Her appearing in Munchkinland, like, through the orange smoke is... I literally had to go back and watch it again. Because I'm like, that is absurd. It was... Because, like, I assume she rose from the ground or something like that. Yeah. But, like, you can't tell at all. The smoke is dense and It's, like, it's dense enough to cover what she's doing but not so dense to where you're like, oh, they're covering something. Like that it's just, woman, it's... that woman's character horrified me, but she went through so much and did so well with this role. Yeah. Oh yeah, we could talk. Oh man, hey, don't look up 
any behind the scenes facts about this movie. No. If this no. movie holds a special place in your heart and you don't want it to be tarnished by reality, don't look up anything. It how was it so is bad. now? Yeah, how it is now is the best you are ever going to look at it. <laughs> it all it's only downhill from here. Yeah, like Judy Garland, love you so much. I am so sorry. <laughs> so sorry to all of them. All of them got burnt by their makeup. It's awful, horrible, horrible. Anyway, um, so there. I also thought, like I said, some of the stuff didn't age very well. The thing that I noticed was the audio mixing in the yeah. Munchkinland song. It was, was not le- good. It, it was not great, and I and like the. Big problem was it wasn't synced as well as it should have been. Yes. Like, there's just a lot of mouth movements that don't line up with it. And I'm going to give them the benefit and just be like, it's because of the intense pitch correction that they gave those voices. Mm-hmm. And, and that's probably what goofed them. So I'm giving them a pass on it, but I do need to bring it up. It's not great. I am not giving them a pass on their treatment of the actors who played the Munchkins. Yeah, it's a like I said, just just don't look into don't look into it, or no. do or do you know that's up to you at this point. <laughs> um, also, <laughs> so before she even goes to Oz, right? Uh, the entire like momentum for this plot, I would say for the entire movie. A more than significant portion of the plot momentum is based around her dog, Toto. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, like, in Kansas, right, the main conflict is Toto goes into this old woman's garden, chases her cat, and the old woman is upset about it. And I'm like, how bored are these people to where a dog chasing a cat is, like, an eight-person conversation? <laughs> Yeah, because like, Dorothy is going to every person on this farm because nobody's listening to her, and she's like, "There, she's this old hag who owns half the city is going to get my dog taken and killed. Why are none of you paying attention?" No, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not casting the blame on Dorothy at all. I'm saying specifically for this old hag, like, how boring is your life to where you have to start like basically. Like, she is causing such a fuss. Like, she is about to, like, get senators involved is what it feels like. She's a Karen. She's I wasn't going to say it, but yes. And I'm like... like say it with your chest, Craig. Don't be a I'm coward. I'm not going to. Don't be a coward. Shut, say it with your up. chest. Say it with your chest. It's like, you know, 1930s Kansas. There isn't much to do to begin with, especially if you don't have a job. So I understand her trying to find something to motivate her life, but could you have not been, you know, bad about it? Um, Yeah, I mean, she has money because she owns half the county, so I guess she's just bored. And that's how you know how small this area is, because it's not she owns half the city. No, she owns half the county. (laughs) It's all farms. And I forgot how much heavy foreshadowing there is in terms of characterization Mm -hmm. until you go back and watch it again. Like you watch it the first time and you don't pick up on it because you have no reason to, but you go back the second or third time and you're, there's 
a farmhand that mentions how he doesn't feel very smart. And there is a farmhand who wishes he had a better heart. And I'm like, all right, okay, I see where this is going. All right. Exactly. I love. That's one of the things that I love is that like you don't really catch it. Like you said, you don't really catch it the first time. But once you go back the second time, you see all of these little things that they like played into the characters with. And it just makes it that much better. Who is your favorite of the three? Uh, Companions. Probably. I, I really, really like the Scarecrow. Okay. Um, I'm gl- I, I was just hoping you wouldn't say the Cowardly Lion because I'm about no. to rip into him. No. Uh, not Cowardly Lion, not good. Did not like him at all. Uh, least favorite of the three. I, I don't know if it's just because that style of comedy has been phased out or if it's just was never funny. I, I didn't like his performance very much. Uh, he sells I it. Like, he goes, I have never liked the his little solo song where he's where they're at the they're at the Emerald dude, City and he's yeah. like in his cloak. I've never liked that one. And he and whenever he belts, he does like a purr. Oh, 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 oh. Um so I, I like the guy goes all in and I don't want to disparage him yeah. for that. He dude, gets credit I, for that. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather him make a strong choice than no choice at all. It's Amen. just that I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody is welcome to that opinion. Yeah. But he is definitely the weakest of the three. Um, I think the Tin Man variation of their tune is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would have been nice if all three had their own independent melodies and whatnot. They just, uh, but you know, they're all singing kind of this. It's the same song. It's just different. It's just different points in the song. They're just different verses in the same song. And I kind of wish they were a little different because there aren't too many songs in general, but beggars and choosers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, so of the three, which one do you think you are? Toto. That doesn't count. That doesn't I know, count. I'm, I'm a little troublemaker. No, I'm you're a not. Troublemaker. You're literally not. I like to run around and if, chase little cats. If any of us are the troublemaker, it's me. If any of us is the troublemaker, it's Alex. Let's be clear uh, about that. I was just talking between me and you, but absolutely, if we're bringing Alex into this. <laughs> um. <laughs> sorry, Alex, I, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I think sometimes I feel real stupid. <laughs> You got straw for brains. That's what I'm going to yeah, say from now on. I'm going to be like, Craig, you have straw for brains. I got straw for brains. <laughs> See, maybe I'm not Dorothy. Maybe I'm the Tin Man because I need a new heart. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, Unfortunate. Um, I think that the scenes in the Wicked Witch of the West castle still give me chills to this day. Yo, why are those monkeys so scary? They're horrifying. Hey, monkeys, why are you so scary? Why are you so scary? <laughs> yeah, it's very creepy, very well done. It's yes. just like, oh man, yikeroonies. They did a really good job of doing the contrast between like good and quote unquote evil. I don't well. think it's quote unquote. I think it's pretty blatantly evil. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. You're right. Say it with but... your chest. Come on. Shut the. F- <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you don't get to say that to me, Mister. I'm afraid to say the word Karen. Oh, Karen's worse than. F- 
back. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say fuck, but I'm not gonna say Karen. My mom will get mad. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, man, I am just getting roasted today. He walked into that one, buddy. Uh, so I, I, I want to say there is no reason why the wizard should be as revered as he is. No. Because, first of all, if no one has met the wizard, why does he have such an elaborate setup? If, if he goes out of his way to make sure nobody sees him, he shouldn't need the setup. No, his Second, guards his guards all signed an NDA. Yeah. Second, if you have a reputation of being revered, why are you so scary? <laughs> Why'd you yeah. go out of the way to be so scary? Yeah, why are you being so scary and so mean? Why are you I, mean? And why do I you think, look like Donald Trump? I think the fire was an unnecessary touch. <laughs> I think so, too. So, wizard... Maybe dial it back a little bit. And then he just is like, he's like, oh, my identity has been revealed. So let me take off in this hot air balloon that I don't know how to control. Yeah. And so also what I love about Dorothy is Dorothy is not afraid to call him out like it is. No. Because, you know, when she meets the cowardly lion, she's like, you suck. You're you're bad at this. And she then, is a sweet southern girl, but she has that southern girl take no sh attitude as well. And then she goes to the wicked witch and she's like, "You're mean. I like you are just straight up evil and I don't like you." And then she goes to the wizard and she's like, "You're a bad person. What yeah, are you she doing here?" She straight up here? tells him he's a bad person. And he's and, like, and, "I know." And he goes, Oh no, I'm a bad wizard, but I'm a good person. And I'm like, I don't know. Debatable. I have a long list that says otherwise. Debatable. I, I just find that very funny where he's very mean. <laughs> very internet, where as soon as his anonymity is revealed, he is very good hearted and like, oh no, let me help you. I just. He got caught. Why didn't he got you caught start slipping. with that? Why didn't you start with that? The power got to his head and then he got caught slipping and so he had to check himself. Did you ever watch the James Franco Oz? I think it was just called. Yeah, with Mila Kunis and everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it, mm. Zach Braff voiced the monkey. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. You say that with a tone of disdain. I saw that movie in theaters with Me my too. father. I saw it in uh, theaters. I... Okay, this was at this was at an age where as long as I saw a movie in theaters, I liked the movie. It it's not a bad movie, right? But it's not great. Like there's a lot it's really funny because it's you know, who the actors are. It's Braff and Franco, right? So their bits are really, really funny and there's a lot of quotable lines from it, I think. And I just at the end of the day, I don't think it really added anything to the Oz universe. Sure, yeah. And I don't think anyone was expecting it to. I think people no. were just like, all right, l let's play around in this universe a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen it since then. I think mm -mm. it came out 10 years ago. I mm -hmm. have not seen it since. Me either. Um, so I hold 
a not negative view of this movie and I refuse to go back and tarnish it. <laughs> that is entirely valid. I've also seen like I've seen all of the Wizard of Oz things. Like I've seen obviously the Wizard of Oz, The Wiz, Return to Oz. That's that's a messed up movie right there. Return to I'm Oz wait- is actually I'm waiting like, for you to say the important one. It's like genuinely creepy. I've seen Wicked. I've read Wicked. Um you're missing a very Oz. important one. Which one am I missing? Oh my god, the Muppets Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, I've seen that one. But Golly. I'm not you're the Muppets man in this duo, so hey, that's all you. I think I don't know for sure, but I think the Muppets Wizard of Oz might have been my first Wizard of Oz. Maybe. That tracks. <laughs> so did you ever like read the books? Uh, I didn't read the books. I read the Wicked book, as I mentioned, but I didn't read okay. like, the actual Wizard of Oz books. Yeah, I remember my elementary school had like six of the Wizard of Oz books. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I opened the first one and I was in like third grade and just like all these dense pages. I'm like, oh, yeah. never mind. No, thanks. Never mind, actually. But no, who, like- wants to, who wants to read, like, you know, Dense fantasy from 1880. <laughs> Only one person reserves that right, and that was J.R.R. Tolkien. Truly. Uh, but Return to Oz, like, it's messed up, and they, like, put this little girl in, like, this mental institution because she's talking about Oz, and, like, it's it's just very s- genuinely kind of scary. Uh. I yeah I I just like I didn't really delve too deep into the extracurriculars of Oz. Well yeah, this is only what your third time seeing the Wizard of Oz. Something like that. That's valid. So what what do you what do you give it overall? Oh like a like a seven. I'm just, I bet you know it, mine's a solid it, seven. Okay, mine's a seven and a quarter. Okay. Um, it it gets some passes because it is eighty years old. Um. It's good. It's fun. It's worth a watch. There's, you know, of, you know, we could consider this a decades movie. It is. This episode is coming out in decades month. So we've done, you know, 10 movies for decades. And if we include this, this one definitely sits in like the top third percentile. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I need to I need to get me another pair of ruby red slippers. So I know that much. Maybe I should get some, too. Ooh yes. Maybe we're them together. Maybe I'll finally learn how to walk in heels. See, that's what's going to happen. Okay, so at your wedding, we're both going to wear tuxes. At my wedding, we're both going to wear ruby red slippers. I'm content with this. <laughs> this sounds like a good plan. Hell yeah. Okay, so next month. Wait, I still s- have to do our outro. And then we, we go still- into the next month. What? Never mind, just keep going, whatever. <laughs> I thought we... Okay. No, you do nothing. Keep, th- keep, keep going. Clear, keep going. Clearly, go. Go. we've been. T- go. Hold on. Go. No. Go. Why are go. you yelling go. at me so much? Just do it. Why are you've been yelling at me for the last hour? I haven't. You've just been wrong. I haven't been yelling. I can show you yelling, Please but don't. I think you're right this time. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. So next month we are back to Star Wars. Now the we're prequels. doing the prequels. Prequel trilogy, which. I, okay, let's set the scene for the prequel trilogy, right? So in the last five years, I would say, it has garnered a lot of nostalgia 
and I would, as far as Star Wars movies go, have kind of a cult following. Mm-hmm. The I I have not seen any of them recently. I did watch Revenge of the Sith, I think in like 2019 or something, and I didn't love watching it then. <laughs> so I am willing to go in either direction when it comes to this rewatch. Yeah, a it's lot of my be opinions about a lot of my opinions about Star Wars has changed, especially in the last few years. I've gotten a lot more invested in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to have these movies be good, but I'm also willing to plant my flag and saying that all of the love for it is is purely community based. And that is a very bold and dangerous statement. I'd be more afraid of saying that than saying Karen. <sighs> okay, well, I guess we'll find out next month. <laughs> I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. This has been Bug's Favorites Month. I hope you enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about me and my favorites. And we'll see you next month for our prequel trilogy prequel trilogy Star Wars watch through. Love ya. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah.